Let us pray. Holy God, we have gathered here to plan our lives in front of your word. We ask that you be gracious to our seeking of a word that can come only from you, a word that can make its way into the protected corners of our hearts, a word that can break down barriers. We ask it in the name of the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Wow, this gives new meaning to high church. (laughs) There's been so much to think about in this story. If you read the gospel, it's so much to think about, it has been hard to narrow it down. The story begins with Jesus on his way to Galilee. Now, there's more than one way to get anywhere. Strict Jews would avoid anywhere near Samaria. The Jews hated the Samarians for generations. But Jesus doesn't avoid anything. He goes straight through Samaria. We all have places that we avoid. Maybe we avoid a place because the memories that place holds are painful. Or the people there are not our kind. Or maybe you avoid a place because your mama told you nice girls don't go there. My mama told me that. Um, But Jesus doesn't avoid anyone or anything. He comes to a town called Sychar and decides to stop for a rest. He sits down by the well and he's probably wishing he had a bucket so that he could draw some water out. He's tired and hungry and thirsty. Now, wait a minute, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, he's Jesus. But he is fully man and fully God. He truly does understand when we are weary and when we are thirsty because he's been there. Now, a woman arrives to fetch water. Now, this is unusual for several reasons. First of all, it says it's the sixth hour the sixth hour after sunrise, about noon to fetch water. Could there be some reason why she doesn't come in the cooler evening or early morning with the other women? Maybe she's avoiding something or someone herself. I'm sure she's avoiding the stares, the whispers, the remarks from the other women who are sure that they are so much better than she is. In any case, She's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a Jewish man. She was doubly ritually unclean since she was both a foreigner and a woman. Men were not allowed to talk to women except within their own families. That was man's law of the times. Men don't speak to women, and Jews don't speak to Samaritans. They should, by all rights, ignore each other. But what does Jesus do? He starts up a conversation. Give me a drink. There's nothing intimidating or threatening about the way he begins. But she's not so sure and quickly points out by way of a question 
that he shouldn't be talking to her at all. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? I imagine Jesus is thinking, well, this is just too good. He could easily have said, please, just give me some water. But no, he goes into a theological discussion telling her that if she only knew who was asking for her for water, she would be asking him for living water. But she is stuck, literally, on water. She becomes focused on the fact that he doesn't have anything to draw water from this deep well. But again, he goes deeper than the well into theology, saying that anyone who drinks this earthly water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water, the spiritual water that he has, will never thirst. It will become a spring bringing eternal life. Like last week's lesson on Nicodemus, she isn't getting it. But then who would? Nicodemus, a scholarly man who knew who Jesus was, just couldn't grasp the ideas that Jesus was putting before him. Being born again? What? And he knew who he was meeting with, but he chose to meet kind of stealthily in the night. We have a Samaritan woman, not very scholarly, who is being told this man has living water, and she isn't getting it either. She thinks, how can this help me? And then she goes right to how this can help make her life easier. She goes right to the idea that she won't have to draw water anymore. If this is eternal water, I won't have to come here and draw water anymore. Now, just an aside, a gallon of water weighs a little over eight pounds. And her bucket surely held more than a gallon. And if she had two buckets, she's hauling more than 20 pounds of water, maybe more than once a day. That would be motivation to find water that she won't have to come and pull from a well. Not to mention that she wouldn't have to endure the stares and gossip of the other women. She wants what Jesus is offering. She may not quite understand it, but she knows this is something important that she needs. But it isn't quite that simple, is it? The gospel is a message of grace, of free salvation, but it's never cheap grace. It always involves a recognition of our true state before God. So Jesus tells the woman to go and call her husband. He knows what her answer will be. He's already discerned her true situation, but he needs her to acknowledge her standing before God. She answers in a way that many of us have answered, not outright lying, but with a bit of deception. I have no husband. Got her fingers crossed. To which Jesus replies, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And how does she respond? Well, she tries to change the subject, doesn't she? She throws out your classic red herring. First, she tells him he's right. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then goes right into, that's okay for you, but we Samaritans believe different things from you Jews. 
because she tries to divert the conversation away from the uncomfortable truth of her own history to the much safer ground of the history between the Jews and the Samaritans. Does that sound familiar? I'm sure some of you have changed the subject and avoided hard conversations with other people and maybe even with God. So Jesus pushes a bit harder. He says, let's not argue about how we worship in the world. The time's coming when the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. In fact, that's the only way to worship him. So you better get on board now while you have a chance. And then we have a wonderful moment when the light comes on. She realizes that this man's something special. In fact, she says, she reminds him. He reminds her of the one who was promised, the Messiah. Yes, says Jesus, you got it. I am he. Isn't it amazing how God can take someone who seemed to have lived a fairly disreputable life and completely turn them around? I know a woman like that, a drug addict. Her children have been living with their paternal, uh, paternal grandmother for most of their lives, and they are 13 and 14 now. She's been in the jail for the past two years. I met her when she first came to the jail. I was volunteering and teaching Bible study and preaching and bringing Eucharist to the jail on Monday nights. And she started coming faithfully to every Monday night, and I knew that she was going to other services on other nights. And she significantly changed. Her appearance changed. Her countenance changed. The anger and pain just went from her face. She became a new person. She became a Christian. And then, like this woman at the well, she couldn't help but tell others about Jesus. She teaches Bible study in the mornings after breakfast, which is served at 3.30 in the morning. Um, she gathers the women and they teach Bible study. And then she does another Bible study late at night before everybody's locked onto their bunks. It's not a real lock. They just say you're on lock and you're supposed to stay on your bunk. But um, she teaches Bible study before they send everybody back to their bunks. I've watched her faith grow from, from nothing to being a true leader and an evangelist in the jail. The woman in Sychar the Samaritan woman, races off to the village, so excited that she forgets she's a social outcast. She begins to tell everybody about what's happened. Could this be the Messiah? Oh, yeah. And the whole village follows her out to where Jesus is waiting with his disciples, who have returned by now with lunch. The Samaritans hear the Lord and say to her, we no longer believe because of what you said, for we have heard the word ourselves. And they ask Jesus to stay, and he stays, and from what we can gather, for two more days and teaches and preaches. And then the text says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Nicodemus came to see Jesus in the night. Nicodemus, who knew who Jesus was, but kept quiet. This woman didn't know and didn't fully understand. And yet many came to know him because she told them of her conversation with Jesus. 
We don't know her name, but she was a powerful evangelist. Jesus didn't avoid the places and the people and the world that the world told him were unclean, unsafe, and not for him. Jesus spoke to this foreign woman who had five husbands and a live-in lover. The woman listened to a strange man of a different faith and came to know that he was the Messiah. She spread the good news and many became believers because of her. Who or what are you avoiding? Who do you have a bias against that God loves? A foreigner? A left-wing liberal? A person in a same-sex relationship? A right-wing zealot? A homeless addict? A rich snob? Someone of a different faith? Jesus, apparently, is no respecter of the walls we build up. Jesus used a woman from Samaria who had five husbands and a live-in lover to God's glory. What is Jesus calling you to do? Because if he can use her to bring many to him, if he can use Monica in the jail to teach Bible study to inmates while she still is one, I'm sure he can use you to his glory and purpose if you will just be willing to seek and serve Christ in every human being. Amen.